Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. This is going to be a podcast. If you have felt in your life that you have lost your voice, maybe literally or figuratively, maybe you just are not feeling heard. Maybe you've been to a healer before that has said, oh, you have to work on your throat chakra. Your throat chakra is a little blocked. You need to speak your truth. Because my guest today went through a really interesting medical issue where he actually lost his voice. We're going to talk a little bit about that but is an author of a beautiful book called 48 Whispers, where I think he found his voice again. So my guest today is Kevin Hancock, and this is going to be a great podcast to actually watch on Path 11 TV because my guest today is also a photographer, and the photography that we're going to be talking about in his book, I'm actually going to be showing it on video. So this It's definitely a great podcast that you can listen to, but one that you also might want to watch so you can see some of the beautiful images that Kevin, my guest, has captured. So Kevin is the CEO of Hancock Lumber, and he struggled to guide the two-century-old lumber company through the 2007 collapse of the housing market, only to lose some of his voice to the rare neurological speech disorder, spasmodic dysphonia. This experience sent him journeying more than 20 times to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota in search of voice recovery through self-reflection and immersion in nature. While at Pine Ridge, he met an entire community that felt a piece of their authentic voice had been taken or stolen from them, helping him realize that there are lots of ways to lose one's voice in this world. From this experience, Kevin came to see life as a quest for self-actualization. His book, 48 Whiskers, is a unique photojournalism collection of short meditations accompanied by beautiful full-page color photographs of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation and the North Plains. 48 Whispers explores the concepts of shared leaders, dispersed power, and respect for all voices. So we are going to get right into this podcast. Kevin. Welcome to the Path 11 podcast. April, hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. So, as I said before, we hit the record button. I have just a bunch of different tabs in your book, Reddit. I love photography. It's kind of a side hobby of mine. Don't really know what I'm doing, but people always say that I've had a natural eye to be able to take pictures. And I'm just starting this year to understand cameras a little bit better and get involved. So I really loved your photographs and just thought that they were amazing. Thank you. Uh, that makes me happy. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because at first, you know, when I read about you, I was like, well, why am I going to have some man that is the CEO of a lumber company on a spirituality podcast? And I was really intrigued to hear about how you have recovered and maybe you haven't 100% fully recovered with the loss of your voice, but I'm hoping you can kind of talk about that. But also, you know, it feels like you're on the spiritual journey of finding yourself and so curious to know how did you wind up? at this Indian reservation in South Dakota when you live in Maine. Right. Yeah. None of this did I see coming into my life. So as you mentioned, uh, back in 2010, at the peak of the mortgage market collapse, I quite suddenly began to have trouble speaking. And it turned out I'd acquired this rare voice disorder, spasmodic dysphonia. So I uh, very quickly had to come up with a different approach to leadership because I hadn't thought about it this way before, but really as a CEO, my tool had been my voice. Suddenly I couldn't really use it. So that really was a big, big change in my life. And then a couple of years later, 
when the economy had settled, I really felt I needed to take some time uh, for myself to kind of kind of regroup, rebalance, and search for my voice on both a literal and spiritual level. And I didn't know how I was going to go about that, but I always set this love affair with the American West. And in the summer of 2012, I picked up a copy of National Geographic magazine in the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota was the cover story. And I read that article and was just swept away like I, like nothing I'd ever read before had swept me away. And as soon as I finished, I said to my wife, Allison, I'm going to go there. I want to see what life is like for the people who live there. And one trip turned into two and two turned into three and I've now been there over 20 times, have all kinds of friends there. But as you also mentioned, I uh, encountered this entire community that didn't feel fully heard, that felt as if a piece of their authentic voice had been marginalized or put to the side. So in the most unexpected of ways I really could kind of relate or connect oddly to what it felt like to not, not be fully heard. So how did this spasmodic dysphonia begin? And can you educate our listeners a little bit about what is it? We might even have some listeners that maybe have experienced this or have family members who have, how does it affect the voice? Sure. It's quite rare. It affects maybe 20, 25,000 people in all of North America. It's uh, neurological and it affects only speech, literally. It wouldn't affect singing, yelling, whispering, laughing, running, exercising. It only affects your kind of normal speaking voice and essentially what happens is when you go to talk the muscles miss fire and they kind of spasm and squeeze and contract and uh, it manifests differently in different people Uh, i've met lots of people with sd and no two have it exactly the same way but essentially it makes talking chore. I've since improved a lot when I first got this. There's no way I would have been able to be on the, the show, but over your show. But over time, I've gotten a good bit of my uh, voice back, and it doesn't really bother me at all to talk now. Great. So if you whisper or sing, it doesn't have kind of that, like, I don't know what to call the, the sound of the voice, but kind of. Right. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. It's very, yeah. It's a very targeted disorder. I wonder if you're just supposed to walk around and sing. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. If you heard me sing, you know the answer to that is no. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting as I got into your book and let me just kind of flip through the pages. You recommend, actually, in the beginning of this book, for people to maybe take a whole year. I've never heard of anybody say that before. You're like, use this as a meditation tool. You can, you know, take it and go through it for a whole year and stop and kind of meditate on things. So maybe I'll comment on that and let you comment back on that. And then I want to go to a page where something dawned on me after I went through this book about three times. Great. Yeah. So in in a way, the book's really about slowing down in order to speed up. I, I, you know, we live in a 24-7 internet-wired, bigger, better, more, go, go, go world. And I think that we can lose a bit of our balance and our way quite easily in this world we live in. And so what's happening for me a couple times a year when I would travel out to the reservation and then alone into the Black Hills or surrounding plains is I really was gaining 
strength on a on a spiritual level. I could feel it. I and it manifested in so many different ways. I could hear better, see better, think better, breathe better, and and all of these kind of ideas would come to me. Really, for me, rich, deep, powerful ideas which became the what I call the whispers in the book. So as you know, each section of the book, as you open it as a picture uh, from my travels at the reservation and on the plains, and then it's accompanied by a short meditation. And each meditation for me is worth uh, really sitting with for a while. I mean, this is a book, if you read it, cover to cover you could probably do it in an hour but i actually recommend taking a year and reading a whisper thinking about it for a few days up to a week and then taking on another one yeah yeah and i thought that that was really interesting because i've never had an author ever say that before but i'm understanding more and more why let me get to it was whisper for number 15 and we've kind of talked about it and there's I love this picture too of this man kind of walking down a road you can't really see his face and it kind of looks like a fall day with some beautiful fog but when I got to whisper 15 uh, there's lots of ways to lose your voice in this world and you know you were kind of talking about SD but I thought oh well how interesting because this is also called 48 whispers you know and you can still whisper to be heard and interestingly enough, what I just learned from you, too, is that SD also doesn't exist in the whisper. Right. That's actually super interesting, April. I'd not thought about it that way before. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. But I, I remember thinking when I was reading the book, and I know that I found it, I, as you can see, I have so many markings in here, but I was curious as to why the book was called 48 Whispers. But again, when I read that, my contemplation and meditation really came to, you know, what was going on with your voice. But, you know, it doesn't exist in the whispers, what I'm learning today. But why did you entitle it 48 Whispers? Yeah, it, when, when it's hard to talk, you come up with strategies for talking less. And at the end of the day, you listen a lot more and the biggest voice I began to hear in that quiet if you will was my own I was going to say it's funny as that sounds but I know that doesn't sound funny to you or your listeners so I really began to hear more clearly what I what I came to understand as the voice of my own uh, soul or spirit, that authentic voice that dwells within us all. And I've really become a, a champion of, of looking inward or better put, listening inward for our own true authentic voice and then having the peace or the groundedness to bring that voice forth into the world and let it manifest that no, you know, no, of course, two humans are alike and ever will be. So each of us has a unique, never to be repeated, authentic voice, but over time, society community and leaders. So I thought a lot about this as a CEO of a company. Leaders have probably done more historically to restrict and hold back and limit and direct the voices of others than to liberate them, to set them free, to honor people as they are. So I really came to see my own voice condition as an invitation and a gift and a blessing, not a hindrance and a liability to strengthen and liberate the voices of others in places where people often haven't felt fully heard, like working within a company or in a uh, 
historically marginalized community like the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And so my my mission has really been to help people come into their own true authentic voice and to honor those voices exactly as they are, really simply letting go of judgment and, and bringing that kind of approach to spirit into the world of work, a place where where it needs to go, but hasn't by any stretch been often enough. Yeah. And you said something really important there where you are really looking that looking at this as a gift, right? And so I have, you know, I work a lot in the healing community, right? You know, trained in a lot of different healing and stuff like that. And, you know, many healers will say that sometimes what is manifested in the body, that there could be something connected to emotions or that this is a gift or it's a part of your soul contract and it's something that you kind of signed up for. And sometimes things or situations that happen to us doesn't necessarily mean that we're supposed to heal from them, but there's a lesson from it. And sometimes the end goal isn't about maybe your voice completely returning back to the way that it was because you've also transformed as a person. Are you really that voice anymore? You know, so I hear a lot of resilience in the way that I feel like a lot of people who get through really trying times, medical crises, physical crises, traumatic crises, when they shift that perception to exactly the way that you described how you have been looking at this for yourself, there's healing in that. That's uh, so powerful what you just said, April, and that's exactly what happened to me. And the shift really kicked when I viewed healing this way, already whole, I'm already healed. This voice is my voice. It is my authentic voice. I don't need to bring it back to what it was, what it is today, is authentic, is healed, is whole. And and that paradigm shift was what set me free for years, a few years after I first got the disorder, I was focused on a very clinical, traditional, Western medical approach to healing. I had to get my voice to sound and feel like it used to, but it wasn't ever going to go back to that. And it wasn't meant to go back to that. And my new voice was actually, even though it was softer, back to the whispers, was actually quite a bit more powerful and valuable and authentic than my old voice. I just had to come to embrace it and accept it as being whole. You know, when you when you acquire a condition like this one, the first thing they tell you, unfortunately, is that it's incurable. So what that connotates is it's broken. And I had to really transcend that approach and and it took me time but to recognize that no it's not broken it's completely whole and healthy and authentic exactly as it is beautiful that is so beautiful i love that and i think that's so important for people to hear rewind listen to that again you know it's it's so true and it's interesting how sometimes we can be told things right and the mind will grab onto that you know, this is incurable or, you know, there's no hope. I mean, I've talked to people where they were under paralysis and were told that they'll never walk again. You've seen so many stories like that and they do. And, you know, it sounds like your voice is changing and you're, like you said, you couldn't have been able to do this podcast, you know, a while ago, but now you're able to. So I'm sure in your journey, you may have many voices, right? Not just one, but many voices as you kind of, you know, maybe you'll have 48 voices instead of 48 whispers, you know, but yeah, that that's really important. And I just love everything that you just said about that. And I think that brings a lot of hope to people, again, who may not have your condition, but you just gave them a totally new way to look at a diagnosis and also a different way to look at it outside of the Western lens. Yes, correct. Uh, I'd also just like to, before I kind of get into 
a little uh, deep dive into my interpretation of some of your pictures. I also would like you to give some more voice to the Pine Ridge um, Indian Reservation because it really feels like you know, this book not only is about your voice, but like you said, their voice as well. And I've never heard of the Pine Ridge, you know, Indian Reservation. So through your book, you're educating a lot of people about them. So it, what 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 is it like there? What are the people like there? Um, yeah. So the reservation is located in the southwest corner of South Dakota, right above the Nebraska Panhandle. It's the biggest, most remote, most traditionally disenfranchised, and today financially or economically poorest of all the Sioux reservations on the Northern Plains. It's home to the Oglala Sioux tribe. They're the direct descendants of some of the most famous war chiefs and medicine men in North American history. Names like Red Cloud, Crazy Oris, Black Elk, and mm -hmm. others. And back before our nation's Western expansion and quote-unquote manifest destiny in the second half of the 19th century, they were a very free, prosperous, independent, uh, and healthy, vibrant community. And today, economically, as I mentioned, it's the poorest place in America. If you were to Google media income by county, the two poorest counties in America make up the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Uh, we, I think unemployment there today is around 80% median incomes, around $10,000. The lowest life expectancies in the Western Hemisphere are in Haiti. Second is Pine Ridge, South Dakota, uh, right in the middle of our own country. And this was a community that that experienced genocide, long story short. And when I came to realize that, it really stopped me in my tracks. I had this, this false idea in my head that genocide was only something that ever happened somewhere else. Right, yeah. You know, in Europe during Nazi Germany or, but but confronting the reality that it happened here, it, right in the middle of our own country, around our own country with indigenous communities. So this community has gone through generations of, of deep, trauma and wounding that it's still recovering from. And yet when you go there, despite the poverty and the difficulty and the challenges, it's this amazingly rich place in terms of spirit and endurance and hope and faith. And, and then in addition, they're, they're, they're really, to me, the keepers of a wisdom set, an indigenous set of wisdoms that I believe modern humanity desperately needs more of. So their communities thought of kind of as a place from the past, but the more time I spent there, I really became convinced they're holding a wisdom set for the future and that perhaps to your point about journeys that their multi-generational journey as a community had a purpose and it was to preserve a wisdom set that humanity really needed in the future mm. wow yeah I, I didn't know any about this i would say math and history are my two weakest points and I wish I could go back to school and, you know, learn more about it. So thank you. That's really interesting. And I'll, I'll probably do a little more research, you know, to continue to learn more about them. Now, how were you allowed onto the reservation? I don't really understand how reservations work. And here you are, you know, white Caucasian male and hey, can I come not only once, but, you know, all these times and photograph and, and stuff like that. So how, how did you get in and are people yeah, allowed to just go there? Right. Great questions. Anyone can go there. Most people uh, who are not from the community don't, but anybody can go there. But it is a place because of the 
kind of the past injustices where you have to be careful and thoughtful and patient about how you become a part of the community. For centuries, people from away like me have been going there to quote unquote fix, save, or change them. And of course, none of that is productive or healthy. And as I would go there and come home, people back in Maine would ask me, well, what is it that you do there? And, and initially I had trouble coming up with an answer, but I just started telling the truth. And it was this April, I don't actually do anything when I'm there. I just uh, travel around and hang out with the people I know there. And then those people introduce me to more people. But here's what struck me about that over time. I've really come to believe that awareness and connectivity in and of itself is a powerful act. I see you. I know you're here. Your voice is important. And I think the fact that I haven't been going there to try to create change, fix, save, or solve is why I've ended up kind of accepted and embraced by the friends and people I I know there. You know, you you um, the, the, the sacred symbol really in Sioux or Lakota spirituality is a circle. And when you think about humanity, there are so many layers to that that you can draw in a circle. So you can say the people of Pine Ridge are Lakota, which is a subset of the Sioux, which is a subset of Native Americans, which is a subset of globally of indigenous communities. But if you back your circle up far enough, they're human. <laughs> and I'm human. And there's only one tribe. You can see many tribes on this planet, or you can see one tribe. And what you see is what you get. And what I really see there, in addition to their amazing, unique culture, is simply humanity. You know, there, there's no, no difference on a human level and there's all kinds of therefore opportunity for connectivity anywhere once we break down these these uh, kind of human construct barriers that divide us but really shouldn't yeah and you know it feels like you're going there without an agenda and like you said i don't i do nothing there which is great because it means that you're in a state of being, right? You're not doing, you're not needing to fix, like you said, you're just being very present. And there's that awareness and that connectivity. And you also answered one of my questions. So do you know what I have tabbed in this book? <laughs> because what I did was, of course, Pant 11, right? This is our company name. So I went to Whisper 11 and Whisper 11, is everything travels in a circle. So you've kind of, you've hit on that already. So thank you without me having to ask you. And I couldn't agree more that, you know, life is cyclical, right? Everything, everything is. So that was, that was really cool that you just kind of talked about that without me using. Interesting. Yeah. So a couple of things, uh, now I'm going to kind of show some pictures here. One of the things that I noticed, and again, my experience with this book and if I meditate on it will probably be so different than anybody else's, right? Because like you said earlier in the podcast, as human beings, we are all uniquely different. I'll see it from my perspective, from my consciousness. But what I had a lot of fun with in this book is I like to interpret and look for symbols. I like to think, see things that maybe are symbolic. So I have looked through this book maybe four or five times. The first time was a quick read, like you said, read it in an hour, you know, have to be prepared for this interview. But then I was like, all right, well, let me see what he's talking about, you know, to just like meditate on things. So then I began looking at the pictures and I was just trying to find symbols um, or metaphors. 
And one of the things that I found is that there's a repetition of the number six in here. And I don't know, again, you know, from an artist's perspective, sometimes artists will put things in that people don't normally notice. I mean, we did that in our films with the documentaries that we made, unless the artist kind of tells you, oh, well, this means this and this means that to the naked get eye and somebody looking at it would just be like, oh, this is a picture of men. This is a picture of buffaloes. But where I found the six starts right off on whisper one, which is this graveyard. So, and I count things a lot. Like I love numbers. <laughs> so, so in this graveyard picture, one of the thing that I noticed is that with these flags that I assume are representing tombstones, that there were six sticks with six pieces of cloth on them. And I was like, okay, interesting. Then I found on the next page, the picture of six men here. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, maybe that's something. And then I go and I find a picture of six horses. Then we go. And I find a picture of six buffalo. <laughs> And then that's the last six. That's the last six that I could find. But I was like, and I'm not a numerologist and I don't know much about the number six. But again, I just felt like as I was meditating on it, I was like, wow, what is this theme of six? So I don't know if you know, but I just wanted to share that observation that I had. So April, you fascinate me. I want to interview you someday that's super interesting so i want to back up and then i'll get to six there the number sequence that i intentionally wove into the book is 48 and their black elk was taken on his great journey vision journey to what he called the top of the world by the 12 horses of the four directions, 12 from the west, 12 from the north, east, and south for a total of 48. That's where the number 48 came from in the book. And each whisper, this is my favorite part of the book, is exactly 248 words. If you go back and take a look, exactly. And it was very interesting to write 48 meditations that all had exactly the same word count. So uh, six was not a, a conscious target of mine, but I have no question uh, that a that a unique number for its own reason could have played out in the book. Now, the the let's talk about the number six. The Sioux icon of prominence is the medicine wheel. And it honors the six great external powers, the power of the west, north, east, south, sky and earth so those are the six great powers of uh lakota spirituality so the fact that they wove themselves into this book oh, i just gotta chill it's totally not a surprise to me wow but i hadn't seen that until you saw it and shared it yeah. Well, awesome. I'm so glad. And the other interesting thing, if you look at the six and the transformation and think of it as a journey, it was death, right? Because it was the six at the graveyard. And then you have the men reborn, right? Birth. Then they become horses to travel. And then it's almost like they mature into the buffalo. You know? Wow. So wow. I bet you, you could take that and like go even deeper, you know, into looking at that. And that just came to me right now as you were talking about it, you know, when I'm thinking about the pictures. So again, there's a little bit of that circle, right? And then you could start again at the death, right? The birth and right. buffalo seem to have wisdom and are older and 
you know, the, the horses, you know, if we represent them as the male, the masculine are kind of like, you know, powerful and young and moving and free, you know, and then like the buffalo, they're just like grazing. They get slow. <laughs> they're just there being. So, yeah. So that was an observation that I had. And that was a lot of fun to hear how you were able to make that connection and to hear about the medicine wheel. Awesome. That's so Wow. I, you've got a... Uh, inspired to pull my book back out. I've got to start looking at it again with some different eyes and see what I see. So thank you so much for that. That was You're welcome. lovely. You're welcome. And then I guess that there were just kind of maybe two other things. Well, I, my favorite photo that just told such a story and just seemed so powerful to me was this one this is whisper whisper 24 and there's a picture of four people on from the reservation and then there is some graffiti on what looks to be a barn that says legalize mm -hmm. alcohol on derez and i don't know you know i just have known that alcoholism has plagued a lot of native americans that you know it kind of has um been an issue you know for for many that i that i've heard of and I don't know, I, I have to meditate on this picture. It like hits me in the heart. There's just something about it that is like, wow, you know, and then to even see the words about these people, but also knowing, you know, that alcoholism can take so much too. Yet here they are, you know, legalize alcohol. So is alcohol not allowed on this reservation or what's that story with that picture? Right. It's such an interesting conundrum. So alcohol on the res is illegal but alcohol is is rampant and what that well that says or suggests many things probably but to me what it suggests is that that any human illness or challenge that way really can't be solved by government per se passing a law that says no alcohol that this that, that really is an internal challenge that has to be faced individually but the the, the big thought that comes to me when i look again at that picture and and it's one of the key words to me that summarizes the history of reservation communities is idleness, idleness. So the original premise of these reservations, April, was uh, simply this. The, the, the government stopped short of all the thought about it killing all the Indians, killed many of them, but not all of them, the Indians that survived. And I use the term Indian in all my books because uh, that's the term people at Pine Ridge use. They call themselves Indians. They talk about where they live as Indian country. And so to honor them, I just use the same terminology they, they use. But the original reservation premise for all the surviving Indians in the late 1800s was to simply get them as far away from white society as possible and sequester them in these isolated places. So the original proposition was you have to come here, you have to stay here, but that's it. And we will through the agency, clothe you, feed you, and eventually take the Indian out of you, make you, make you like white American Christians. But, but for generations, there was nothing to do. The community was completely dependent on, there were no jobs, there were no buffalo to hunt, and they were completely dependent on the government to bring them ration so prior to the reservation era everybody had important roles in lakota society and suddenly nobody had anything to do 
and that absence of uh, purpose, that absence of um, meaningful activity, that absence of individual value and being able to contribute, that that ethos is still working its way through and, and hopefully ultimately out of these communities. But but it's a living example of how deep trauma has really long legs. Hmm, absolutely. Interesting, a whole nother way to look at it. That's why I love, you know, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for 48 hours and like, let's go through each photo. What do you see? What do I see? You know, what's the story behind it? So I'm just going to show that photo one more time for people who are watching it on uh Path 11 TV here. Beautiful. And then I guess the other two things, again, just noticing in the very beginning, I love whisper number four picture. I just have to say it because we really, I really connect with trees and a lot of your pictures are pathways too, which I love. But in the beginning, we find this one picture. What I noticed again, just like in the symbolism of it, you find that it is an empty road, right? And that's kind of how the book starts. Mm. Where is it? Here it goes, right in the very beginning. It's this beautiful shot. And I love that the perspective from it, right? It's like on the ground, this road in the very beginning. Then when you finish the book and go all the way to the end, and I kind of see that road as your starting place, you know, your beginning of this journey. But then the last page, it's like you've taken control. You're on the road. Here you are, you know, successful on it. It's like you've arrived. So I loved the beginning, that beginning photo, and then seeing you at the very end. And then one last observation that I had that I did not catch until, again, I went to maybe the very last time. You have this other picture, which was another one of my favorite pictures because it left so much to just... Um, contemplate. And it was this beautiful bow resting against this tree. And I loved it. It was just, it was beautiful. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to mark that as one of my favorites and, and talk about that. But I really wanted to talk about the one that we just talked about with the legal eyes. I'm trying to find it here to show them. But again, it's earlier in the book and it was just like, okay, that's, that's just so beautiful. And then when you get also to the very end of the book, Sorry, I'm trying to go through quickly and find it. And I'm sure there's a lot more symbolism. Again, I'm going to email you more stuff. Uh, but either way, at the end, again, I saw this as like a great metaphor and didn't realize that you were the one holding the bow. You know, so it was like, here's this bow that you can use, right? It's a tool. The bow mm -hmm. is a tool and you can use it for, you know, your advantage in any way. But then to see you kind of on the top of this mountain holding that bow just, again, seemed like a lot of triumph to me. And again, I didn't recognize it at first, but the bow felt very significant to me when I saw it. It really moved me emotionally. And again, it wasn't until I went through this like the fifth time, I was like, oh, my God, he's holding the bow. <laughs> and look at him. He's on the mountain. And it looks like this is success and freedom. So those were two that I found really connected in the book that I also really loved and wanted to mention. So fascinated by how you see. So that bow was a gift from a dear friend at Pine Ridge. I'd gone on a buffalo hunt partway through my 10 year journey there because I wanted to experience something that was so central to their society and then I brought all the meat to the reservation and shared it with lots of people there and, and someone gave me that bow as a gift of appreciation in return so it's super meaningful to me but in that picture where I'm standing with the bow I'm actually shouting at the top of my voice and it's echoing in that canyon and i'm essentially shouting that my voice is whole this is my voice i have no wound and it was really a, a, the trans 
transformational moment of me coming back into my own voice. And every one of those pictures I took with a camera fit in my back pocket, it's not like I had this giant bag of stuff and that camera had, you know, the button you push where it'll count and then flash 10 seconds later. So every picture of that book of me in it, I taught, I was by myself for every picture, including that one. And when I took the pictures, I had no vision that there would be a book. I wasn't taking pictures to create this book. I was taking pictures because I was so captured by this community and the planes that I, I couldn't stop taking pictures. And at the end of 10 years of journeying, I was like, I've got thousands of these and I want to share them. And so the book, I never set out to create this book. I had the experience and then decided to share it. And I have a, a dear friend at Pine Ridge by the name of Rolla Spider, who's, who prides herself on being a fourth generation storyteller and the first female storyteller in her family. And she often said, uh, refers to something her dad told her many times, which was simply this, if we don't share our stories, they die with us. And this gets back to authentic voice. We each are having an experience that will never be repeated. There'll never be a person like you, April, who will have the experience you're having. And in addition to learning for ourselves, that, that next level of um, learning is sharing. Right. And it's in that spirit that the the book 48 Whispers came into being. Well, I feel like the pictures might have picked you, right? I mean, to go through thousands and the ones that you selected. And I would say when you stop to really sit and look at the book, you know, and meditate like that feeling, you know, to hear the backstory of what was happening, what you were shouting, you know, what you were, the moment that you were having in that picture, like I felt something, you know, I felt it, but it was because I took the time to sit with it and to meditate on it and to put myself into the photo, you know, and really felt it. So these pictures are powerful. I think they're healing, even though this is your unique story. Again, if we go back to the circle, there's a part of me in this story that I can relate to. You know, there's there's parts of your story that are also my story, which continues to connect that circle. So I'm so glad that this came to be. This has uh, really, really touched me because I've, I've ri written a, about what I'm about to say. Book takes a writer and a reader. A picture takes a photographer and a viewer. It is a relational act. The, 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 a written word with no reader is not a written word. And so I've always been fascinated by the reader or the viewer and, and a, a real blank page of possibilities of what a written word or a collection of pictures would mean to each individual. And I got to tell you, I haven't, I haven't encountered anyone directly who's taken quite what you've taken from what I've written and photographed. So I'm really moved by this and um, very inspired by you. So thank you. You are so welcome. I really, really enjoyed it. And I know that our time is coming to a close. I feel like I could sit and talk to you. You're one of these people I could, could sit and talk to for hours, but I want to close with this quote. Transcending the urge to judge, fix, solve, or transform others is what actually creates the conditions for communities or companies to progress. When people feel heard, 
not judge, they relax. When people relax, they think. When people think, they grow. And the person who wrote that is my guest today, Kevin Hancock. So Kevin, thank you so much for such a beautiful experience, a beautiful conversation. I wish you a lot of luck with this book, 48 Whispers. And, uh, and if you guys would like to contact him, we'll have all of his information in the show notes. Do you have a website um, for this or a way that people can Google you right now? I, I do. The website is uh, www.thebusinessofsharedleadership.com. And people can reach me there, see the books, other resources. So, okay. yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. And I will bring you another fantastic guest next week. And again, if you would like to watch this podcast, you can visit pav11tv.com. We have all of our video podcasts on there for free. And you can also sign up for a seven-day free trial if you'd like to see the other videos that we have on there. So take care, everyone. And I hope this podcast is going to help you to find your voice. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com, and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path11TV today. Bye for now.